0: Hey, Stellar Woman fans, I'm your host, Mary Rick Torres, And I'm your co-host,
1: Mila Taylor. Stellar Woman shines a light on female leaders making their mark
0: Today, Mila and I are so, so excited because we're welcoming Judge Kimberly Johnson to the podcast. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you. And we have a lot of questions to get to. But before that, Judge Johnson, for Stellar Woman, we're trying this new section called Highlight of the Week. Just a way to start on like a fun, positive, light note. So if you want to rack your brain for anything fun or exciting that happened, I can go first. I finished a fun new book that I found in my building's laundry room. So, you know, it was a prize, but it was called conviction by Dennis Mina. And it talked about podcasting, true crime and celebrities, which are three of my absolute favorite things. So if anyone needs a very light read, I recommend conviction. All right, judge Johnson, let's go to you.
2: Well, I'll say what's great about my week is I am headed out to Orlando in the morning. My youngest, I'm the mother of five, so my youngest is into competitive gymnastics cheerleading. So their team made it to Worlds, and so we are on our way to the great state of Florida uh, tomorrow morning did you watch the
0: documentary cheer or did your daughter
2: just about it my daughter watches it i do not but it is all of the drama in that show is real (laughs) and just it's so intense right yeah. yeah it is so intense i think people don't realize it. you know i i did a similar thing when i was younger so i actually get it
1: well best of luck to your daughter that's exciting thank you thank you um, I will go okay my the highlight of my week is that I have been feeling a little homesick and I found this cookbook online that has pretty much every Australian recipe that I've ever known plus a thousand more like it's this huge book and it arrived yesterday so I went through and like put little post-it notes on all the pages of the things that I want to cook but probably will never get to actually cooking
0: what's your first one you're gonna do
1: I want to make so obviously like meat pies in Australia like a big thing and they have in the book there's like all these different kinds of meat pies but they have these like potty pies which are mini meat pies right
0: well Mila gotta
1: get cooking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can be my taste tester.
0: always down always down <laughs> so why don't we jump to Q so Judge Johnson tell us a little about yourself and why you went into the law what interested you
2: I went to just regular graduate school. I got a business degree and then went on to graduate school for psychology. During that graduate program, I really became interested in psychology and the law. Um, I don't have any lawyers in my family. I don't really, I didn't really know any lawyers at the time. So it definitely wasn't that. I just, it was through the study of psychology. And particularly, I was really interested in jury, both jury selection, as well as uh, criminal profiling. So that's why I went into law school. My plan was to get a law degree as well as a PhD in psychology and go that route. That all changed when I got to law school. I fell in love with the study of the law and um, the analytical thinking learning both sides and being able to get on either side of the issue and argue it. Um, and sort of that was it. I wanted to practice law from that point forward. And that's what I've done.
0: That's interesting, psychology to law. You wouldn't think those would intersect, but they do so much.
2: They do so much. And it's really, um, it's a, as I've gotten older, I've really learned that though our paths may take us on different places than we o- originally planned, the importance of being flexible in that, because even if you shift from what you think you're going to do, sort of where you were and the things you learned from that particular experience just continue to help and add to your own experience and um, is beneficial. And then whatever you go on to do and the study of psychology um, and, and, and working with the clients that I did through that practice, so helpful every day in what I do now.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like being open-minded to, you know, Mm -hmm. all the shifts and turns that your career can, can take you down.
2: It sounds so simple, but particularly if you're a structured type A person, and and I am, um, it's not so easy. And so I think um, it becomes easier as you get older because change becomes not quite so scary because you realize that it's it's sometimes really great things happen from change can be really scary. And I think you just have to acknowledge that and then, but but at the same time, be willing to go with it.
1: Right. So speaking of... um changing and going with it. Can you tell us a bit about your move
2: from trial attorney to judge? There's definitely no prep course on how to go from being a lawyer to a judge. You're just sort of nominated or appointed or whatever the process is and, and, you, and you start. I did definitely on my own spend time reading rules and uh, making sure I thought I knew everything that I thought I knew. Probably the biggest benefit that I did just on my own was reach out to my mentor, who is the judge that I clerked for out of law school. She's now the chief judge of the Northern District of Texas, huge mentor for me. And I spent about a month just sitting in her courtroom, watching her handle trials, different types of hearings in the federal on the federal bench, we handle both criminal cases and civil cases. So there's a really wide variety of cases that we handle. And so I just watched her and took her to lunch as many times as she'd go with me and talk to her and and, and got outlines, etc. And I also reached out to other judges that I knew. Uh, and have practiced before and just asked to take them to lunch and pick their brains and asked lots and lots of questions. And then, of course, um, there were some that sent me various materials to read. So I did all of that on my own. And then just sort of like I did as a young lawyer, where you sort of watch the really great litigators and then pick and choose what things you think would work for you um, I did the same thing as a baby judge. I- I'll tell you though, it, it, as much prep as I did on my own, putting on that robe for the first time and walking to the courtroom, uh, it's, it was pretty scary and surreal and it didn't seem like I should be wearing it. It took a while, but it's absolutely a, a wonderful opportunity. I really, really love serving in this position
1: this I have really so many follow-up questions and I'm excited to get into <laughs> what, what I'm going to ask you next because we had the opportunity to speak to Judge Johnson before this recording and I just found out the coolest initiative and things that she does um, but before that I wanted just to say that I feel like I've heard so many times people say like early in your career like to be a sponge you know and what you just described is like the best example I've heard of being a sponge you know talking to as many people as you can just exactly go to the to people as many times as they'll go as they'll go with you. That's really great tactical advice for people, for people listening.
2: You've got lots and lots of people that have gone before you and have all this great experience. And so why not take advantage of of all of that and then combine it with your own, you know, what you bring to the table. Um, you're just that much better for it. Right.
1: Okay. And so the next topic I want to talk about, um, this got me super excited when we spoke about it before but you're a big advocate of having associate junior attorneys argue cases in front of you, like in the courtroom. So can you tell us a little bit about that and why that initiative is so important to you?
2: Yeah, so so another reason why I really, really love this position is that it's a platform. It's a platform to do good and things that are important to you, um, to me. And one of the things that's really, really important to me is mentoring young lawyers, giving them opportunities. Oftentimes, those young lawyers, the term young lawyer means women because we have so many young ladies getting into the profession. And so one of the things that I do is I have just a standing order in my courtroom that in federal court, for those that don't know this, you often don't get oral argument. Most of the time you submit briefings and the court makes decisions Um, on the briefing, and so you don't actually get to argue before the court. One of the things I offer, and I tell parties this in every single case, if the attorneys will let a young lawyer, and by that I define as seven years or less experience, If they will let them argue that motion, I will set any motion for hearing, no matter what it is and if I would typically set it for hearing or not. So they just informally let the court know that I set it for hearing and then I also tell them I then expect the other side to reciprocate and also put a young lawyer for argument. From my own experience as a litigator, I know that clients are often hesitant to to let a younger lawyer argue in court. So I also have different incentives and, and ways to address that. So I think you asked, why is it important to me? The practice of law has really changed in that there are not the same opportunities available for young lawyers to get into a courtroom and argue. Most of us don't didn't go to law school because we just wanted to sit in the back of a courtroom and watch others argue. Most of us went to law school because we wanted to be up there before the judge making arguments. That is a skill that you don't learn by watching others. At some point, you have to get up and you have to do it. And you have to make mistakes and do it again. And it's just really, really difficult right now for younger lawyers to get those opportunities. Uh, and so it's one way that I try to, to help with that. Um, and, you know, it's really caught on. I mean, a lot of people that have cases before me take advantage of it. Dicking deeper, Doug
0: John, Johnson, that clients will say, you know, I want the greatest attorney arguing this, and that's usually the most seasoned professional who's at the partner level or whatever. What are the incentives, or what's your talk track for firms when they're talking to clients to give this opportunity for more junior attorneys?
2: I'll say a couple things on that. So I build in a safety valve for for clients because I know how they think, which is I always let the seasoned lawyer be present and stand up if he or she thinks that something needs to be added or something's been said that was mistaken, etc. Typically, when a lawyer makes an argument on a motion, it's one lawyer per motion. That's it. And so that's something that a blanket, if you will, it it gives the client assurance that no mistakes are going to be made. Um, It very rarely is needed. Lawyers like to talk. And so sometimes the senior person will stand up just because they want to get their Two cents in, but but it's very rarely needed. It's my experience over doing this for five years that the lo- young lawyers that come in are over prepared. They know their case, um, and and you know it's interesting. There are younger lawyers that oftentimes are giving the sticky notes to the senior lawyers that are making the case. I've also asked if the senior lawyer could please sit down and if I could just hear from the younger lawyer because it gets distracting. It's not helpful. I can tell that the younger lawyer is the one that knows the case. So I've done that before too. But back to incentives for the client, in addition to the safety valve, it's a win-win for the client, at least in my courtroom. Um, And this is why. Number one, Um, you're doing something that the judge you're in front of and is making decisions on your case, it's really important to them. They're making the judge happy by taking advantage of that opportunity. The other is you get a hearing when you might not otherwise get a hearing on a motion. So you get to get in front of me and tell me why your motion should be granted. And so I look at it as sort of the incentives that I've put in place are there and just sort of waiting for people to take advantage of them. Why do you
0: think it's important for firms to grow their junior employees or junior
2: attorneys, rather? Like, what's in it for them? Having diversity on your trial team is important um, because there are different perspectives that are brought to the table on how issues are viewed and how they can be portrayed that are really, really important to take into consideration. I think a lot of people have figured this out, not everybody has yet. Um, so that's one reason. There is, we're not getting any younger, right? And so, you know, clients are going to need, continue to need fresh talent and ideas. And to the extent that our younger lawyers are not getting the stand up experience in court, they're not going to be as prepared as sort of the lawyers that were trained back in the day where you could just get take a little case and go to court and get that experience.
1: I think there's so many examples across in other life experiences like driving a car like you can take the test and you can think you know everything about driving a car but until you're really behind the wheel yeah you don't you don't actually know how to do it or like how many times have people had a conversation in their head in the shower like okay this is how the conversation is going to go but they're not verbally saying it it's just like Okay, I'm preparing.
2: No, it's one of the things that I I also teach a law school class at SMU. It's sort of another way to give back to younger lawyers. And um, it's one of the things I tell them that you have to practice, you know, write your argument out, but, but at some point you have to transition from saying it in your head to saying it out loud and watching yourself in the mirror and saying it to another person, et cetera, because it's just completely different. Right.
1: hundred percent. I also think like it's what a nice, you know, motion, like notion of I trust you if you're, you know, a superior lawyer saying, you know what, I trust you. You got this. Like you do this. I think yeah. it instills so much confidence. And I think it's a great retention point as well. Like I think about a company, obviously I'm not a lawyer, but companies where I've worked out and I've had different kinds of managers and my superior saying, you got this. I'm here if you need me versus someone over my shoulder the whole time. Like I must prefer that autonomy and that trust.
2: I think it's really um, management style is, you know, a completely different topic that we could probably talk about for an entire podcast. But in my opinion, micromanaging someone is not helpful. You're not helping them grow. You're not pushing them to be their best. And, you know, confidence is key, really, in any profession. But certainly for a litigator and wow, just it just takes one time sometimes for a person just to stand up and successfully make one argument to the court and say, okay, I just did that. That was really fun. I want to do it again to start off, you know, them seeking really seeking out those opportunities and getting those opportunities. I mentioned the law school class that I take, it's, I bring students in actually into the courtroom the last couple of weeks so that they get to stand at the podium and make an argument on a a motion for summary judgment that they draft in class. It's always interesting for me, and I've taught the class for years, but watching the students go through that, because it's hard, it's really difficult for them, it's usually the first time for them, Um, and it's very different doing it in a classroom versus doing it in a real Federal courtroom, and but I think the importance and sort of the the way you facilitate someone having the confidence to do something like that is at the beginning of the class. You know, I'll, I tell people a lot about myself. I, I'll share with them. I'm open with them, sort of about my imperfections and what I do well, and c- just creating a, a confidence between the mentee and the mentor, and also sort of conveying the notion that. You're going to be taking risks, so you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. This is the safe place to make mistakes and to try new things out. So that's the environment that is necessary, I think, for then people to grow and sort of ultimately be the best they can be.
0: You did mention that you always advise younger attorneys or anyone looking to improve their presentation skills. Speaking out loud is your number one. Are there any other pieces of advice for individuals are looking to bolster
2: those skills? Definitely. Um, So here's a few. Seek out opportunities. Tell people what you're interested in doing. You know, be that person that just really, really tries to make their own sort of path and, and success happen. Don't wait for someone else to do it. It likely will not just fall into your lap if you're not seeking it out. If you are seeking it out, there's lots of people like doing what I'm talking about that want to help if they know that they've got someone that's really interested in taking advantage of those things. In terms of oral speaking, particularly before court, so many lawyers are uncomfortable with questions from a judge. And so I always tell lawyers if I can, don't be afraid of questions. Um, You never really know what's behind a question. It could be a total softball that the judge needs you to make this particular argument because you're gonna win. It could be a not so good for you, but you don't really ever know. And so expect questions, welcome questions um, and answer the questions. That sounds easier than it is, but that's really, really important. The other is to not be so wedded to an outline. And, and I think that's that's probably my number one tip for younger lawyers. I do, I totally understand writing out your argument at the beginning when you're preparing, et cetera. But at some point, you want to get to a comfort level where you can have a conversation um, with the court as opposed to reading your outline or being wedded to a PowerPoint. Um, it's really, really important. And then the third thing I would say is confidence. Confidence is key. And I I tell my law students this, I tell my children this, fake it till you make it. And that's just sort of my motto because sometimes things are scary. And if you're, if you're constantly challenging yourself, like we all should be, then you're going to be putting yourselves into situations that are scary and you just have to fake it. And then eventually your confidence catches up to you and it's it's just really, really important to exude that confidence um, when you're at a court, when you're having a conversation with the boss, whatever it is, to truly nurture that, nurture yourself so that you can have the confidence in yourself that you need to.
1: A hundred percent. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. It's honestly been such a pleasure to talk to you and so insightful. And I just I'm so excited by all the things that you're doing and it's just, it's been such a pleasure, so thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. It's been really, really nice to to meet. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: And for Stellar Woman, I'm Mary Rectoris. I'm Mila Taylor.
1: Bye.